0: HR leaders, what's on your mind these days? Is it AI? Is it the economy? The talent market? Remote work? Retention? DEI? Pay transparency? New laws? Our 2024 Workplace Trends Report outlines how HR leaders are thinking about these challenges and what they believe will help their organizations overcome them. Want to find out what they said? Head on over to peoplemanagingpeople.com forward slash Workplace Trends 2024 and download the report to find out. Companies all across the world are grappling with the question of whether to bring employees back into the office or not. Many have decided in favor of at least a part-time return to offices, but to little fanfare from employees, many of whom didn't miss commuting and did embrace the autonomy and flexibility of working from home. So how can companies reinvigorate their office spaces in an effort to tempt employees back? How can they design for the activities many leaders feel are missing in post-pandemic remote workplaces? Welcome to the People Managing People podcast. We're on a mission to build a better world of work and to help you create happy, healthy, and productive workplaces. I'm your host, David Rice. My guest today is Rebecca Swanner. She's a workplace design leader at HED. We'll be talking about how to design office spaces for a post-pandemic workforce and improve the experience of being in the office again. So, Rebecca, welcome
1: Thank you for having me. Excited to be here.
0: So the first thing I want to ask you is around the idea of like return to office mandates, right? Because this is something that we've been looking at a lot over the last year. So we've seen sort of some crazy trends happen as employers try to do this. So I think it's central to how we think about designing office spaces, right? So like knowledge economy workers, they've realized in the last few years, they don't really need to be tethered to a desk. They now sort of expect flexibility, but it's worth noting that office spaces still have their use and can be places people want to go. So what do you think a lot of companies are getting wrong about their policies here? Where does the mindset sort of need to change?
1: So I think the number one thing people are getting wrong is a one-size-fits-all mindset. Personally, I'm part of a large national organization, and our return-to-work policies are different for different offices. And I think this one size fits all um, these mandates, they don't really work. They're not flexible. Something that, that we learned coming out of the pandemic is we need to focus on putting the human sort of back into workplace. And that means really treating individual cases differently and really looking at what types of work even different departments do in the office. And that might inform what makes sense for their specific return to office policy. I think the biggest mistake a company can make is judging an individual employee on their presence in the office rather than their production. I mean, at at the end of the day, you know, as employers, you shouldn't really care how many minutes someone's sitting in their chair. What you care about is your bottom line and their ability to properly do their work and have good mental health, which enables them to do their best work That really needs to be the focus. So I think that's the major mind shift is shifting how we quantify these things and what we focus on as far as measuring, you know, measure results.
0: So I guess I'm curious, you know, because like a lot of employees have sort of pushed back or, you know, tried to move on to other companies where their flexibility was maybe a little bit more respected. When you and I were talking before, you said inspire, not require people to come back in and are there certain employees that you think should maybe be required to some extent to be in the office? Like for example, I was talking to one expert and he was saying maybe younger employees, you know, they need more coaching and hands-on management or maybe it's new hires during a probationary period. Are there people in our organizations where maybe should be required to be in the office to a certain extent?
1: Yeah. So the recent research shows that This is a generalization to be most productive in general, the average worker should be in their office about 60% of the time. That's kind of the magic number that we're seeing, but that doesn't apply to every industry. That's a generalization. So as far as, you know, are there different populations that should be in the office? Again, I think it's about understanding your specific workforce and, and what makes sense to them because it doesn't make sense to compel someone to the office you know, 40 hours a week to sit in a chair and do data entry, you know, and, and they're talking to no one and they're interacting with like, that doesn't make any sense. Whereas there might be someone, maybe they're only coming in two days a week, but those two days a week in the office, they're having really rich experiences. They're collaborating with their teammates, they're being mentored or they're providing mentorship. So I think, you know, approaching it again from a human level. And if an employee understands in a really clear way and a human way from their employer. I want to give you the flexibility you need. I want you to have a healthy work-life balance. I'm focused on your overall well-being, but we're in this together. We're a team. And the research shows that we do need FaceTime to be successful. So what's the right balance here? And then working through that with your HR team. And again, it might be different based on different, if you have different offices, different regions. You know, one of the big rubs with people coming to the office is commute, So if your office location is located in a downtown urban metropolis where people have to sit in traffic for an hour and a half because they can't afford to live near the office and they have to pay $25 for parking and there's all these things, you know, that are preventing them. Okay, so maybe they only come in two days a week, whereas other offices in more suburban areas where people can afford a four bedroom house down the street from the office, it takes them 15 minutes to get into the office. Maybe they're happy to come in four days a week. So again, I think the most critical mind shift is that we can't have these one-size-fits-all mandates. I think that's the biggest thing.
0: You mentioned the collaboration piece there, and I know that's something that a lot of employers are looking for as they do this. We've talked a little bit about, in the past, like activity-based design when we spoke before this. What are some of your favorite examples of activity-based design and how can more organizations apply design thinking to physical spaces?
1: Yeah, so I think the great thing about activity-based design is it's all about choice and freedom and giving people freedom, whether it's freedom what days you come in or how much you come in or what spaces in the office you use when you are in. It's really a free benefit that you can give people that people really value. And there's a lot of power when you give someone the option or you give them the power to decide how they can do their best work. So activity-based design, and if someone wants to implement some of these strategies in their own workplace, it's really making sure that your space is not designed with just one type of work area. So rather than having a bunch of workstations and no matter the task for the day, the employee is expected to go to their workstation or go to their private office and do a variety of tasks in that specifically designed single space, they can choose where in the office they want to work. So if they're coming in and, you know, they have a problem on one of their projects and they want to work through it with the team, you know, maybe there's a living room type setting and they go there and they can hash it out and there's a coffee table and there's some whiteboards around. Or if they have a, um, you know, a client calls on their phone, they can pop into a phone booth and it's totally acoustically isolated, great sound quality. And, you know, they can even take a Zoom call from there. And there's just all these different types of spaces. And I know when we talked earlier, you know, you said about for HR teams, you know, how can they prepare people and equip people for these new types of workspaces? And I think part of it is the HR team. And part of it is the spaces need to be designed in a way that's didactic, in a way that people it's intuitive for people to know how to use them. So think about when you walk into a Starbucks, What about a Starbucks automatically makes you know how to use that space? You know, you smell the coffee, you hear the music, you know, there are a lot of people working with headphones on, like there's a lot of cues. So, you know, okay, this is the type of space where it's not like open mic night. You know, I'm not going to talk to other people. You know, I'm going to do my own quiet work, but I can be tapping away at my keyboard. You know, I can be chatting on the phone and it creates like a background noise vibe. So what are the cues we can embed in the architecture so that people know how to use different spaces and what are quiet spaces and what are loud spaces and how can we lay out the space so that the quiet and the loud are not next to each other?
0: It's interesting because like you mentioned, like the sort of living room set up there. And I think you go back maybe five, six years and you had a lot of companies, there was beanbag chairs and there was ping pong tables and all kinds of sort of like, almost like gamifying the space a little bit. Are you seeing trends shift away from that sort of thing or like it was what is it I guess employees in 20 going into 2024 are really valuing about certain space like the workspace?
1: Yeah. So again, I think it's just about having a lot of different types of space. And types of space like the whole gamut from very private spaces to spaces where you're more exposed, town hall spaces, and even like acoustic privacy. Like there just has to be a large variety. I would say from an amenity perspective, one trend I'm seeing is a lot of these either amenities that are a little bit more out there or that require a bigger real estate footprint. So like a really big game room or a gym or a really large conferencing center, a lot of these I'm seeing are being built out less by the tenant and there's a shift that now the responsibility is on the landlord or the developer to provide those spaces within the building or within their portfolio. So it doesn't even need to be in that particular building. So that if a tenant wants to be able to embrace, let's say, activity-based design and build out a variety of different spaces, but one of those spaces is a really large training room, but they know it's only going to be used, you know, once a month, they can't afford that real estate. So they're looking to the landlord to say, hey, do you have a training facility in this building or in this campus that we can utilize? So again, having even more options of space without having to foot the bill of building out every single type of space. Because again, we're saying that that spaces can't be infinitely flexible, right? There are specific ways to design specific spaces for specific tasks for them to really work well. It's not, space is not like inspector gadget, you know, you push a button and it's like and all the, you know, shutters go down and a lamp turns on and, you know, now there's a giant fish tank and we're all wearing bathing suits. Like that doesn't happen. It's not real. So being realistic about space, I think is important as well.
0: Is there like a psychological element to creating a space people want to be in? Like, what sort of things in a workplace sort of design really make people not only want to use that space, but feel like comfortable or using it for different purposes? Like, what is it that I guess from a psychological perspective you want to achieve?
1: Yeah, and you mentioned it's interesting you mentioned that that gaming thing, because there was kind of this trend where it got really casual and I would say really youthful. And now we're seeing more nods towards hospitality. So this idea that you walk into a space, all of your needs are met, the brand cares about you, you know, you're embraced. And it's funny because office space that we're taking cues from hospitality. So the trend we're seeing now is that there's a lot more of the hospitality aspect coming into office space. And and it's interesting, too, because if you go to a hotel nowadays, you'll see there's a lot of different touches they do to make you feel at home and make you feel like they know you. And so it's the same thing in the office to make it sort of a blend of a homey feeling and a hospitality feeling. Also one of the amenities, I would say one of the emerging amenities that we're seeing in office spaces, in individual tenant spaces, but also in buildings. So from a landlord and developer perspective is this idea of the concierge. So when you enter a space, especially if it's a space that you're not spending 40, 50 hours a week in, there's a place you can go to be oriented if there's something you forgot. So you forgot your toothbrush, you know, maybe you come to the office, you forgot your mouse because you're only coming in three days a week. There's someone there with a smile, you know, who says, oh, let me help you with that. No problem. They're kind of like the ambassador for the space, which I think is also important because if we're using spaces in new ways. We have to help people understand how to use them. So I talked about the cues that can be within the architecture. It's also not a bad idea to have a person who is the ambassador, who welcomes people and orients them into the space and helps them understand the tools available to them and empowers them. It can be this concierge. I would also say that I don't think all of the responsibility should be on the HR team or the facilities team. I think really the responsibility is on the leadership And the best way is to lead by example. So let's say you have a work cafe in your space and you want employees to feel like they can go into this space and work on their laptop for a couple hours. And just because they're not in their department sitting in a workstation doesn't mean they're not being productive. And so the leadership needs to do that too. Come out of the office, go to the work cafe, take some calls from there and set the example so that people understand Just because I'm not seen in my seat, no one's judging me. I'm still productive. It's just important to change your posture. Yeah. So people, you know, there's sit-stand desks. And so when those came out, a lot of people just stood all day, which was actually really bad because the whole point is you sit and then you stand. So then they came out with these apps that will ding every 20 minutes. Okay, time to sit, time to stand. So one of the great things about activity-based design is it leads to changes in posture and movement throughout the building. You know, this idea that the elevator is going to kill us all because we're never taking the stairs. So just having to move from one space to another when you change tasks is great. It's really good for you.
0: You just mentioned changing tasks. And that was kind of my next question. Are there certain tasks, in your opinion, that are better suited to the office? Because I think a lot of people, you know, there's certain things they like about working at home and they think, well, I like if I need to focus or if I need to do this, that's better at home versus, you know, meetings were better in the office or something like that. What are some of the tasks you think are better suited to that environment?
1: So I agree 100% there are tasks that are better suited to the office, and those would be collaboration. I mean, collaboration and meetings and being creative and innovative together as a group is obviously way better in the office. If someone's coming in just to do heads down work by themselves, that doesn't really make sense. And I'm going to say, except because we talked about there's no one size fits all, you know, that junior intern that has a micro apartment with 17 cats, two dogs, and three roommates, you better believe it's more effective for them to do heads down work in the office. So there are these outliers, but in general, we found that collaboration in person is superior. And I will say that personally, I don't believe that will always be the case because I believe the reason why collaborating remotely is difficult is because technology isn't where we need it to be for it to be seamless but it will catch up because there's a demand
0: for it. From a change management perspective, you know, obviously there's a lot on HR's plate. I know you said it shouldn't be all on the HR team, but it does kind of fall to HR sometimes in terms of how do they motivate employees to take advantage of office spaces? What advice do you have for HR or, you know, people operations professionals tasked with bringing people back in? How can they make that experience a little bit better, a little bit smoother?
1: So I think employee buy-in is really, really important. And sometimes just giving people a seat at the table and letting them voice their concerns goes a really long way because if they are involved, then they get committed to the process and they become the Pied Pipers. They tell all their teams about how great this is, how exciting this is. So you have to get buy-in at an individual level. It doesn't have to be everyone. It just has to be enough of the organization that those people start spreading the motivation and the excitement about the changes that are coming. And our company, we do a lot of workplace strategy and we do a lot of surveying with organizations before we design anything. And you know, I would say the biggest thing is when you do the surveys, if you ask the questions, you have to be okay with what the answers are because we don't know what the answers are gonna be until we ask the questions. So I think that's the big thing is we know what the questions are to ask. We don't know what the answers will be And we all have to be ready to radically accept those answers, even if it doesn't fulfill our own agendas. Because at the end of the day, it's not about what are your expectations about people coming in. It's about what's best for the bottom line. Sounds not very human, but actually it is. Because when people feel like the company supports them, when people are loyal and they feel appreciated and they feel heard and they feel like they have an appropriate work-life balance, they do their best work, which in turn affects the bottom line. So it all works, you know, as this nice ecosystem, it all moves the needle in the right direction.
0: All right, so before we go, a couple of things. I wanted to first give you a chance to tell people more about where they can connect with you and find more about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, so I lead workplace design here in Los Angeles for HED. We're a national design, interiors, architecture, engineering firm. Our website is... E-T-E-D.design, and I'm always happy to chat with anyone. You can drop me a line on LinkedIn, uh, Rebecca Swatter. Swatter like the bird.
0: <laughs> All right, and the second thing, we've started a little tradition here on the podcast where you get to ask me a question, so I'll turn it over to you and ask me anything you want.
1: Okay, I love this question because I think about it a lot. If you had one superpower, what would it be and why?
0: It's funny, this is not one that I think about very often, but... Um, Probably the ability to see the future, (laughs) just so I can make better plans.
1: No, I want to go back in time and relive moments, or say things, or unsay things. That's interesting. We're yin-yang on that one.
0: Yeah. I worry about the ability to go back in time, because I feel like I'd just stop appreciating things as much as I could in the moment, knowing that I could go back and do it again anyways. It's kind of like I stopped appreciating live TV, because... You can just TV, up. well, not TV, up, but YouTube TV. So, you know, I was just fast forward through the commercials later.
1: Yeah, yeah. All
0: right. Well, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it, Rebecca. Thanks for giving us some of your time.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here.
0: And uh, listeners, if you want to keep up with all things on coming back into the office, workplace design, HR, people operations, head on over to peoplemanagingpeople.com forward slash subscribe and sign up for our newsletter. And until next time, If you're in the North, build a snowman, enjoy some cold weather, drink some hot cocoa. Have a good one.